Hello. Okay. <laughs> Good morning. We are the Bradys. I'm Melissa. This is my husband, Jody, and our two kids, Connor and Clayton. Um, we have been coming to Cross Point since, I guess, 2005, and you've probably seen us around chasing these two boys over the years. So <laughs> our son, um, Connor, is going to be reading the scripture, Acts 23 through 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations change and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city of, uh, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal them and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for letting us come together as a church. Thank you for this church family. Lord, I pray that you would be with those who are hurting due to um, the losses um, that people have been suffering. Uh, I pray that you would heal those who have been sick. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would speak to us um, through our pastor this morning and, uh, and, and speak to us each individually so that we can come to know you more. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There we go. Good morning. Thank you to the Brady family for, for reading uh, and praying over us. Uh, Acts chapter 4 is where we will uh, be this morning as we continue in uh, the study. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking before because I do have a lot of uh, material to cover. Uh, I don't know if that surprises you or not, but uh, I pray for Luke. Uh, Luke is in Houston, Texas at Simonton uh, Community Church. He preached a disciple now there this weekend. Uh, then he stayed over and is preaching their Sunday morning services. There was a service at 8.30, and there will be another at 11. And I just want to say, as your pastor, I thank you so much for, for loving on the Rainers this week and praying for the Rainers and, and providing meals. And I just come, they're going to need us over the next couple weeks and so, and months and years. And so let's just commit to them. And so I just want to say thank you as your pastor to, for stepping up there. Uh, this morning, when we get to Acts chapter 4, uh, we... And we really, we read uh, the majority of the scripture that we read uh, is a prayer that the church prayed in response to uh, their uh, warnings that uh, the leaders had given them. Uh, I, I came across this story about the reformer Martin Luther this week, and I think it will kind of set up kind of the mindset uh, that the apostles in the early church were in at this moment. Uh, it says, uh, the papal envoy once threatened Martin Luther with what would happen if he pers persisted in his course and warned him that all of his supporters would desert him in the end. So they asked, Martin, where will you be then? To where Martin responded, then as now I will be in the hands of God. And that's the kind of the framework when we get to this portion of Acts chapter 4 that I want us to be in whenever we get to this because uh, what we see is that Ultimately, the, the early churches, they were praying with confidence in the sovereignty of God. And that's a big deal. I want to say it like they were praying with, with utmost confidence that God was sovereign. 
that he was ruling, that he was reigning, that nothing was by accident. And from that confidence in, in God's sovereignty, we see them pray this beautiful prayer. What we see is an unshakable confidence in the sovereignty of God. And church, as we're diving into this this morning, I would submit that that's what the world needs to see in us. Uh, not just people who talk to talk, but when the world's at its worst, it needs the church at her best. And I don't think we're at our, we're, we are at our best when we are confident in the sovereignty of God. And I think we are, we, are, we are at our best as the people of God when we're confident in that God is sovereign and he's ruling and he's reigning. That by nothing happens by accident, nothing happens by chance, that he is, he is ruling. And I think that's when we find us at our best. In Acts chapter 2, 42, it tells us that the church had devoted themselves to the prayers. And we uh, really, this is the first prayer that's actually recorded uh, in the book of Acts. So we know that they were devoted to prayers, but we didn't know up until this point what their prayers looked like and what they sounded like. And so I'm thankful this morning we get to actually see how the early church prayed, and maybe we can model our prayers after that as well. Uh, They devoted themselves to prayers. So here we have it actually recorded. So how I want to break this text up is by asking or answering three questions. Here's the three questions. I'm going to give them to you. What moved the church to pray? What did the church pray? And what happened when the church prayed? So there's our three questions. It's going to break up this text. So uh, what moved the church to pray? What did the church pray? And what happened when the church prayed? So number one, what moved the church to pray? If you haven't been with us, let me bring you up to speed real quick. In Acts chapter 3, the beginning of Acts 3, Peter and John are walking to the temple at the hour of prayer, uh, mid-afternoon. And they're walking up uh, to the hour of prayer. And as they're walking up, there's a lame man who was being carried and placed in front of Peter and John. Uh, the lame man was there to ask for alms, so he's going to ask for money. Uh, and so he asked Peter, okay, give me alms. Actually, Scripture says he just said alms, alms. Didn't even say, can I have alms? Just alms, alms. Uh, And Peter looked at him and said, hey, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have you, I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And the man that had been lame for over 40 years, past the point of hope, past the point of healing, immediately stands up. And not only does he stand up, but he leaps and he goes into the temple with them. And it causes an uproar, so much so that the priests and the capital guard, or the, the temple guard and the Sadducees rush into Peter and John and, and try, to, try to hush them, if you will. And, and then they, bring, they arrest them and bring them before trial. And Peter stands up in his defense and he preaches uh, the same thing he preached after the, the healing, that, that it, this Jesus whom they had crucified and God had raised from the dead is the one who was why this man is walking. So then we see in verses 18 and 20, chapter 4, so they, this is a Sanhedrin, so they called them, uh, Peter and John, and charged them, here's the charge, here's the warning, do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So ultimately, this is what they're warning, and here's the threat, stop talking in the name of Jesus, but if you disobey me, there'll be consequences to come. They're setting a precedence. They're not going to punish them here. But if you disobey this, then it could be a life or death situation for you. And check out Peter's response without even blinking an eye. He says, hey, rather it's right for me uh, to, to, to respect you and obey you rather than God, that's up to you. But we cannot help but speak of the things we've seen and heard. And at that moment in Peter's mind, he knew that war was about to come. Because he had the ruling body of Jewish life to the Sanhedrin said, you can't do this anymore. And immediately he says, I can't not, but I can't, I can't but help. That's all I can do. And so that moment, it hits. And so when we pick up the text, it says that they threatened them a little bit further, then they released them. So verse when they were released, the first thing it says is they went to their friends. And I love this. They went to their friends. And literally in the original, it means that they went to their own. When things got tough, they went to the church. They went to their people. They went to their own. They went to their friends. Maybe even in the same upper room that the, the Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had come down. And, and this is just a side note. This is an essential mark of true faith. A genuine love for the people of God. Whenever persecution was about to come, where did the apostles go? To their people. They went to the church. They went to their own. They went to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And I would submit that you can test your faith by where you turn for support, encouragement, and companionship 
in difficult times. Hey, whenever Peter knew, hey, <laughs> I d- directly defied their commands. And where did they go? They went to their people. But then it says, when they got there, they reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them, which is what? Do not speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Do not teach in the name of Jesus anymore. And check out what happened. It says, and when they heard it, so when the, now the, the rest of the church hears it, what do they do? They lift their voice together to God. So why did they pray? Because when they came together and they heard the report, they lifted their voices to God. Listen, when the early church, when they were threatened, they did not give in or shut up or lay low. They prayed. When they were threatened, do not talk about Jesus anymore, or you'll have crazy consequences. When they were threatened, they didn't shut up. They didn't lay low. They didn't cower down. They prayed, and they prayed in unison. And church, this should be our battle plan for spiritual warfare as well. Notice that the leaders did not tell Peter and John not to minister anymore. They didn't tell them, don't go help people anymore. They said, don't do it, what? In the name of Jesus. Don't do it in this name specifically. And this is the attack that we still face. There's this still same spirit of overthrowing the the, the preeminence of Jesus. Overthrowing the reign of God. And what shall we do then? If that's the same thing that we face in our culture today, what shall we do? Follow the example of the text. They didn't quit. They didn't scheme. They didn't fight. They didn't organize. Listen to me. They didn't protest and they didn't boycott. They prayed. I'm reminded of the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In In his arms he'll take and shield you you will find solace there. So what moved them to pray was this threat. And they knew that they needed to go to the Lord in prayer. Not rebel, not revolt. Take it to the Lord is what they did. Number two, what did the church pray? And this is where I'm gonna spend most of my time. I see my clock back there, but I'm gonna tell you, I've got a few more pages to get through. What did the church pray? We see that uh, in verses 24 through 30 and Uh, So this is, like I said, this is the first recorded prayer of the early church. It's the longest and the most dramatic. But check how it begins, and this is important. Remember, they had just been threatened. If you you continue speaking in the name of Jesus, something could happen to you. There could be consequences. So check out how they start. Verse 24, they lifted up their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord. Did you catch it? They, They started their prayer by saying, Sovereign Lord. It begins with addressing God as sovereign Lord, which is where we get our word despot, where literally someone who is an absolute, has absolute power is what they're saying. It was used to refer a master of slaves who was the Lord of the house. When we see it in the New Testament, it's speaking of the supreme power of God's divine rule. And that's the, that's the sense that whenever they're praying supreme Lord that we see here. And in the beginning of this prayer, when they called on the sovereign Lord, what they were doing is they were affirming, check this out, they were affirming his total control, his perfect authority, and his impeachable jurisdiction over everything. Things are getting difficult, and the first response they say is, sovereign Lord, we know that you are over all things, or ruler of all things. I need you to to stay with me on that. After the authorities, I thought this was interesting. After the authorities gave them a threat, they got together and prayed to a sovereign Lord. This prayer that we see in verses 24 to 30 is broken up into two sections. There's the invocation and there's the supplication. 
They spend five verses in the invocation, calling upon God, and then they spend two verses in actually asking God for something, uh, which we will see is pretty, pretty cool. So first of all, the invocation, we see that in verse 25. And what, what we see is that ultimately uh, the, the, the invocation begins with praising God for his sovereign acts. Isn't it interesting in the face of potential persecution, they began praying by telling God what God had already done. They didn't fear that God had forgotten what he had done. But by, by starting there, what it did is it exalted his glory, but built their confidence by telling God what he had already done. And listen to me, church, I would submit that anytime we're in a, a tough situation, and maybe we should develop their idea and just t- less time focusing on our issues and tell God what he's already done. Hey, we're just getting started. So stay with me. And so they're, they're, they're praying to God. They are declaring his sovereignty over all things. And in, and in this prayer, we see that there, there are three ways that God has put his sovereignty on display. What we see in verse 24 is that his sovereignty, his sovereign rules on display through the creation of the world. Check out uh, verse uh, 24. It says, Sovereign Lord, who, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They begin their prayer with the sovereignty of God, the one who created all things. Creation is the first theater in which God's glory and his sovereignty has been on display. They say the heavens above and the earth around us and the sea beneath us, they're all his. Whenever the scripture teaches about creation, what it's doing is affirming the sovereignty of God. It's the theological thought that the one who creates the thing rules over the thing that he created. And so we talk about the creation of God, God creating it, what it's doing, it is declaring ownership of the thing that's created. So God created all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He is, he is sovereign over, he owns those things. They're his. Psalm 24, one and two says it like this, the Lord is, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Ultimately, everything belongs to God. The sky, everything in the sky, the land, everything on the land, the water, everything in the water. Which means, therefore, no no rebellious creature can withstand him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and in the end, God will reign over the heavens and the earth. He's sovereign over creation. How has he displayed his sovereignty? How can they praise sovereign Lord? Because they saw creation and said, he is sovereign even over all these things. The wind doesn't blow, the sun doesn't set, the sun doesn't rise, and let without his permission. So they cry out, Sovereign Lord who created all things, the heavens and the earth. And so not only is his sovereign rule displayed through the creation of the world, but also what we see through this prayer is that his sovereignty was declared through the revelation of Scripture. Look at verse 25. It says, who through, so who through the mouth of your father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Here he's speaking of the way in which the Bible was revealed. Uh, it says that, check, look at it again. It says, who through the mouth of your, our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Here what we see without a doubt is, the doctrine of divine inspiration. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching and for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. What we understand from Scripture is that God is the source of Scripture. That God, via the Holy Spirit, moved on David's heart, and he wrote. And this is important because God has shown himself sovereign in the way that the Bible has been revealed. How Scripture has been revealed the Bible is not man's word about God, it's God's word to man. Yet it's God's word to man through man. Scripture says that God spoke through David when he revealed himself. What he's saying is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit used David's 
personality, his intellect, and even conviction, but the Holy Spirit is what superintended the process to make sure what only God wanted was there, was there. So, 2 Peter 1.21 says, There's no prophecy, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Because of this inspiration where God was divinely, sovereignly working how himself was going to be revealed through Scripture, what we see is this perfect harmony between a psalm, Psalm 2, that David wrote to what Luke wrote in Acts chapter 4. We see this. It is what, <laughs> what David wrote in Psalm 2 is applied to Acts 4. And this is, we'll get to that in a second. Not only that, but we have the affirmation of the Trinity in this section. This is a side note, but check out what he says. Uh, Sovereign Lord, uh, who through the mouth of the Father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, and he begins to talk about Jesus. What we see just in this text is that God the Father speaks speaks through man by God the Spirit to proclaim the person and the work of God the Son. We see the Trinity even in this. And so in the manner in which the Bible was revealed, God is seen sovereignly. It is his word to man. It's not our word to him. He has moved upon man's heart, and this is how he has revealed himself as sovereign. Not only the manner, and this is where it gets good, church, is through the message of Scripture. Verses uh, 25 and 26 directly a quote Psalm 2, 1 through 2, whenever we read, uh, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers and gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. That is literally the, the direct quote from Psalm 2 that they're saying here and they're applying it to their situation. And is it not correct? Through the message of the scripture, Psalm 2 is seen as rebellion against God's anointed king and chosen people. And they've seen it as a prophecy of the coming Messiah. In verse 25, that when they pray, they ask, why? Why did the nations or the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? They're quoting from Psalm 2 and is speaking of humanity's futile attempt to overthrow God's authority. It says, why do they rage? It's literally the picture of a neighing horse that's bucking in rebellion, but it still has a reins hooked to it. Like it's going to have to submit to the one who has the rein. They're raging. They're bucking. They're making noises. But the reality is there's still someone holding the reins. They're going to have to submit in the end. That's the picture it's given. Like you should be going, this is, this is good. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'll, anyway. Why do they plot in vain? It's futile. And then look at verse 26 where they quote verse 2 of Psalm uh, 2. It says, the, king of the, earth, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. And one guy I read this week says, this was like the United Nations. And they were, it's like kings and presidents and foreign diplomats conspiring together of how to get rid of God. From grassroots to authorities, they were trying to overthrow God. But in Psalm chapter 2, it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, Here's what's crazy. While the whole entire earth is conspiring and rebelling against God's authority, notice this, first of all, that God is not pacing around the throne room. He's not meeting with... uh, uh, his, in his briefing room to organize a military response. As one guy said, he's not being moved to some undisclosed location for his own personal safety. No, where is he? He is now where he's always been on his throne, Psalm 2 4 says. And only he's on his throne, but it says in Psalm 2 4 that it, is, it says, He who sits in heaven laughs. Another guy I read said, humanity's rebellion is divine comedy. But when God laughs, it's not funny. Because what he's saying is it's too late. Because look at Psalm 2.6. He says, I have 
set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Jesus is already reigning. You're raging and you're rebelling up against me. It's futile. Why? Because I've already set my king on Zion. Jesus reigns, and this is why we can pray with confidence that even though the nations rage and plot against God and try to overthrow his authority, he says, I've already set my king. He's, I've set him in Zion. And actually, let me turn to it. I know it's going to come up on screen. If you continue to read Psalm chapter 2, don't count this against my time. I wasn't planning for this. As I tell you, every time I, was, I wasn't in Baba drill, so. Psalm 2, verse 10, it says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Check out verse 12. Kiss the son. Who's the son here? The reigning, the one who's been set on the throne in Zion, Jesus, and Jesus alone. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Check out how it ends. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. In their prayer, they prayed, they declared. God's sovereignty in the face of their situation. They declare God's sovereignty in creation. They declare it through biblical revelation, how he has revealed himself, but also what the message of the revelation is, is that he is on his throne. He is sovereign over all things. They praise God for the fa that fact. They rejoice in the fact that God is in control. Not only was he sovereign in creation, in biblical revelation, but lastly, what we see in this scripture is that he was even sovereign in the crucifixion of Jesus. Verses 27 and 28 say, for truly, so what happens now, they're taking Psalm 2 and directly applying it to Jesus's life and his death. So in verse 27 says, for truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Notice how they, you never see the Gent, uh, before the gospel, you never see the Jews and the Gentiles lumped up into one. But here in the, in the killing of the Messiah, they both are placed together. So it says, uh, Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, check out verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan are predestined to take place. Here, when the church is praying, they're literally applying Psalm 2 to the crucifixion of Jesus. We see the parallels, and we see how it connects to Psalm 2. Actually, a few months prior to this moment, these same groups came together and plotted against Jesus. Matter of fact, I think Luke tells us that before this day, Herod and Pilate didn't like one another. But after this day, they became friends. The nations are raging. They're plotting together. Why? To dethrone God, if you will, to overrule. But it's not just in the courts of authority. It says in verse 27 that the Gentiles and the Jews... Both are responsible. Individually and corporally, sinful humanity plotted to execute Jesus. And notice what verse 28 does not say when it says to do whatever your hand and your plan to predestined to take place. It does not say that they fulfilled their plots, which they did. What does it say? It says that they got together to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined. See, the biblical tension of human responsibility and divine sovereignty this text doesn't acquit those who are responsible for the death of Jesus. It actually declares all humanity guilty. Yet it asserts something greater was going on beyond the sinful acts of man. What it teaches is that Jesus didn't die as a religious nonconformist to the Jews or a political nuisance to the Romans. He died according to the plan of God. He's sovereign even in the crucifixion of Jesus. Crucifixion happened as God predestined it to happen. The key word of that text may be for you is whatever. Whatever your hand had planned and your plan to predestined to do, take place. 
The enemy can only do to you what God allows. We're living in a day. We're living in a day where we, where we witness our culture. Really go more and more hostile towards the word of God and the preeminence of Jesus and the exclusiveness of Jesus. And what happens is we start panicking, thinking we lose a home court advantage or something. But a text that came to mind this week is Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So there's the invocation. There's the first three quarters of their prayer. Finally, we get to what they're actually asking for. We start the other way. But finally, we finally made it to what they're actually asking for. You know, and I thought maybe we don't see revival and moves of God because we don't pray like this. We're too preoccupied with our own needs and troubles and thoughts and frustrations that we never, we never even worship God and declare who he is to him. They had a lot of stuff to talk about. But they spend most of their time talking to God about God. His greatness, his authority, his sovereignty. I know I've said this already, but this prayer was seven verses long. They spent five of them talking to him about him. And finally, in the last two, they actually began to ask something for themselves. So we moved to supplication. And maybe this is the model we should pray whenever... Our burdens are heavy and we're in crisis or the enemy is threatening. And their example is to talk to God about what he is doing more than about what the enemy is doing. To focus on God. Uh, one guy that I read this week said, gaze at God and only glance at Goliath. Talk to God about what God's doing and what he's been doing. So after exalting God's sovereign rule, they make two requests. And here are the two requests. And I think this one is really cool. First of all, there was a prayer of a personal resignation to what's going on. Check out verse 29a. We're almost done, I promise. 29a. It says, and now, Lord, this sovereign Lord they've been praying to, check out their first request. Look upon their threats. So Justin, I didn't literally this. What Lord, sovereign Lord, who, who's sovereign over all things, we, we look upon their threats. Will you see it? Will you look at it? Notice what they did not pray. They didn't pray for God to stop it or prevent it from happening. And they knew that these were not idle threats. They knew that they meant serious business, that they, when they commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore, they knew it was serious. And they would soon find out just in a couple chapters later that one of their own would, would die. And then somebody else would die. And before long, there would be persecution. They knew that the people were serious. So notice that they did not pray for God to stop it. Yet what they prayed was, is Lord, look upon their threats. And this week I thought about in Isaiah 36 and 37, when the Assyrian king sent a letter to King Hezekiah. And you may not know the story, but what happens is the Assyrian king, uh, he was just a really just a jerk more than anything. Now, Assyrians are bad news people, and they would, they would defeat everybody they went up towards. And so they sent a letter to King Hezekiah and said, hey, we're coming after you. Don't trust in your God because he hasn't been able to save any of the, any of the, anybody else's gods. I mean, he, he, the other gods haven't been able to save them. Your God can't save you. And check out what we read in Isaiah 37, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. He read it, and check this, Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. And look what he prays. He the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, all the kingdoms of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and your earth. Check out verse 17. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear it. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Check this out. Hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he sent to mock the living God. What does Hezekiah do? He goes to the house of the Lord, puts before the Lord, says, hey, God, he's not talking about me. He's talking about you. I'm resigning. This isn't about me. He's talking about the Lord of all, all the universe, that you can't defeat him. 
he resigns and he says, this is you. I thought you, hey, I just thought you should know what the enemy is saying, handle your business. And that's the sense when we get to chapter four, when, he, when, they, when they pray in the sovereignty of God, they finally say, Lord, look upon their threats. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about him not, him not, his name not being spread. People not, it's about him. It's not about us, it's about you. And this is literally what they're doing is they're giving it to God. They say, hey God, look, look upon these threats. They're, they're going to the house of the Lord and placing it out before the Lord. So is there a prayer of, personal resignation, but there's a prayer for spiritual boldness. Look at verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, look upon your threats. Grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They ask, will you, will you continue to allow us to speak boldly? We see that their priority was being bold for the gospel of Jesus, to preach the gospel boldly. They were more concerned with pleasing God and exalting Christ than their own safety. Because they knew that this could have life or death consequences. And they don't pray for God to give them another way. They say, God, can we just be bold? Will you give us the boldness to continue to preach Jesus? Live or die, the word of God had to be proclaimed. And I was convicted this week, could this be why the gospel isn't advancing in our city? Could this be why the church seems irrelevant to people? There's a pressure to look as much like the outside world in order to reach the world that's outside of us. Could this be why so many churches are only going through, church members are only going through the motions and not experiencing change? Because we lack spiritual boldness as followers of Jesus. And it starts with us as a leadership. Pastors aren't bold enough. Deacons aren't bold enough. Church leaders aren't bold enough. Small group leaders aren't bold enough. We are not bold enough in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And that's all of us. That's not me pointing fingers. That is, the reality is, is when is the last time we prayed for God? Not, you know, give me, you know, this, that, and the other. God, make me bold to share your good news. Life or death, it doesn't matter. Your gospel has to be preached for people to come to know you. We're comfortable with the status quo. We suffer from the fear of man. We're more concerned with being criticized or rejected than we are pleasing God. We suffer from the fear of man more than the desire to please God. We choose the path of least resistance. We claim to trust in the sufficiency of Scripture, but we fail to operate as if it is so. May we corporately and individually repent of self-reliance and pray for spiritual boldness. That's all of us. That's not just me calling you. That's may I repent of not praying and being bold. Notice that they prayed for what they already had. They prayed for boldness. But remember in verse 13, what were the Sanhedrin astonished about? The boldness of Peter and John. They prayed for something they already had. If you don't believe me, look at verse, you can go back and read it. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated to come in, they were astonished. Yet they still prayed for boldness. One guy said that they were wise enough to know that yesterday's grace would not work for today's challenges. That just because you were bold yesterday doesn't mean you're going to be bold today. Just because you did good today doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. That's why there's new mercies each morning. There's a mercy, there's a mercy this morning to face today, and there's gonna be a mercy tomorrow to face tomorrow. They're new every day. Now there are times when we need to look back and remember what the Lord has done. But there's also times that we need to forget what lies behind. Because yesterday's success can become today's complacency, which comes tomorrow's failures. Oh, this is, but I had it back in the glory. I remember back then I used to read my Bible. I remember back then I shared my faith with somebody. Yeah, that was 15 years ago. When have you read, when was the last time you read it? 
When's the last time you actually spoke up and shared the gospel? When's the last time, last time you actually invited somebody to lunch? What happens is, is we, yes, that we think, we look back and looking at God's faithfulness in the past gives me confidence that he's going to be faithful in the future. But in my relationship with him, I don't settle for what I used to have because I've become complacent today. And then tomorrow, I don't even know who I am anymore. They were praying for something they already had. No matter how bold you've been in the past, don't stop praying. We thank God for yesterday grace, but we ask him for future grace to help us with what's before us. We can't say what we ought to say or do what we ought to do unless God gives us spiritual boldness. Lastly, what happened when they prayed? So we saw why they prayed and what they prayed will what happened when they actually prayed? We see that in verse 31. It says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We see three things that happened when they prayed. The first one is that God did something around them. It says, when they prayed that the building they were in shook. Remember in Acts 2, when the, when the Spirit came, it said that God came in and it sounded like a, a mighty rushing wind. There was something that God did for them to know that he was there. And here they're praying to the sovereign Lord, look upon these threats, give us boldness, and then the building shook. God made his presence known by shaking this building. It was a sign that he was with them. And probably the more he shook the building, the the more unshakable their faith became. What he was doing, he was actually showing that I'm with you. Everything's under control. I'm still sovereign. I hear you. I see it. I've got this. And God doesn't always move and make himself known by the shaking of a building. Sometimes it's like Elijah in a cave and there's a, there's a soft whisper of a voice that we hear. But the reality is, is that that God is with them. And we should pray for God to be present with us, to be active, to be in charge, to be at work. But here's the point from this text is that when they prayed and they declared the sovereignty of God, that God met them, that he heard them, he, he met them where they were, and there was nothing he can't handle. Got to send those tangible things. Oftentimes, hey, I got you. Hey, I'm still sitting on my throne. I'm still here. I've set my king on Zion. Kiss the sun type talk. Like it, it, it is set. It is done. And there are times that he, he sends us things. and sends us reminders. It may not be shaking of a building. It may be through the word of a friend or a song that you listen to or a, remi- or a memory that you have. There's something that God does in our life. He says, I've still got you. I'm not chasing a shaking building. I just want to know God's with us. So only did God do something around them. He did something in them. It says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This isn't the same thing as the, the indwelling of the Spirit or being baptized in the Spirit. When we're born again, the Spirit comes and takes residence with us. But what we do see is that even after Pentecost, that Peter was filled with the Spirit to speak. We see here that the church here was filled with the Spirit to continue in boldness. Matter of fact, in uh, Ephesians 5, there's a command to be filled with the Spirit. It says, do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So there's a point, there's a, there's a reality in the believer's life that I am sealed, signed, sealed, delivered. I am filled completely with the Spirit. But then there's a command to continue to be filled. There's a command to continue to be yielded to the Spirit, to, 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 to continue to, 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 to hear God's call and submit to the Spirit there. And here's what's crazy. This is a command for all believers, not just the pastors, not just a select few, but all believers have the command to be filled with the Spirit. How awesome would this place be if all of us walked in filled with the Spirit? It's important for us to catch this because when we use the word filled here, it literally means to be controlled by the Spirit. And it's important because we get to Acts chapter 5 and we have Ananias and Sapphira who says they're filled with the devil. So what does that look like? And so I'm precursor when I teach that in a, few mo- uh, in a month or so, 
what that looks like. It's just they're being controlled, that they have given them, ultimately, Peter and John in the church, they have given themselves over to the sovereignty of God, and the Spirit filled them and took control of them. Same way, if we yield ourselves to the power of the devil, he takes control of what's going on. It's the same going on here. But anyway, D.L. Moody was once asked, are you filled with the Spirit? He said, yes, but I leak. And all of us do. There's a, there's a need to be filled by the Spirit daily. That, we, that we, we lay ourselves down before the throne of God saying, God, will you give us boldness? Will you, will you give us faith? Will you give us the ability to, to continue? This was a fresh and feeling that enabled them to resist quitting, to serve faithfully, to endure persecution, to live obediently, to witness boldly, and to suffer joyfully. They were filled with the Spirit. We all need to be continued. And when we yield ourselves to the Spirit, He fills us, He takes control. And listen to me, that happens through prayer. The last thing is that God did something for them. Not only did he do something around them, let them over there, he did something in them, he filled with the Spirit, but he did something for them. It says at the end of verse 31, and continue to speak of the word of God with boldness. The believers continue to speak the word of God with boldness. In verse 29, they specifically pray for God to give them boldness. In verse 31, he specifically answered that prayer by enabling them to continue. Take home is that God hears and he answers their prayers. He hears your prayer. I was convicted by this this week. In times of turmoil, times of hurt, in times of tension, we can do many things to help people after we pray. We can do nothing to help until we pray. Because when we work, We work, but when we pray, God works. Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this example of of how to respond in difficult times. To come to you, declare to you what you've done, and pour out our heart. God, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning who doesn't know you, hasn't placed their faith in you, God, that you would draw them to you. That they will see you as the sovereign one. The one who created all things, sustains all things that exist outside of our time. But the one who sent your son to step into our time. To redeem us. God, we thank you that Jesus' death wasn't just the plot of man but God it was your predestined plan to redeem lost mankind your scripture teaches us that if we just believe in the name of Jesus and call upon his name that we can be saved so God I pray that today you will give those who don't know you the faith to do so Christ's name. Hey, as we, as the band prepares to lead us, I know there's a lot. I talked a whole lot this morning. But if you have something you need, I mean, it's about prayer. If you need to go to the Lord for confidence, for, for burdens, if you just need to sit in his presence and tell him who he is, you can do it in your chair. You can do it standing up. You can come down here. If you need to pray with a pastor or, or another leader, we can connect you. But man, may, may we commit to being like this early church and praying before we move praying before we do we trust God the sovereign one who's in control of all things to work out his will
this morning you're worthy of it all you're worthy of it all yes you are Lord you're worthy you're worthy of it all for from you singing you're holy you're holy and are you Lord God almighty we sing worthy worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb for you are holy give him praise in this house would you give him praise this morning thank you lord thank you lord for meeting us in this place meeting us here today you're why we're here to worship you and to give you that adoration you're so due lord thank you for your presence and your promise in this place continue to move through this church through this city and what you're doing in each of our hearts right now in jesus name we all say amen All right, here we go. Hey, uh, thank you for being with us this morning. I've got a couple things I want to share with you before we head out. Um, if you were not aware, we had a Disciple Now weekend here uh, on Friday night, Saturday, and Saturday night. And let me tell you, uh, it's a lot. I'm tired, uh, and I know there are a few other people that are very tired but thankful. And so I just want to say thank you real quick to, uh, to Daniel uh, to Chandon for coming in and, and leading worship with us, and for Luke, and there were a couple other guys that were on stage that aren't here, um, and it's, it's a big thing. You know, time is precious to everybody, and I'm so thankful that they were able to commit to that this weekend. I know they are tired as I am, uh, and it is it, it was a great honor to have them here uh, worshiping with them and, and, and being right here with these students. I also wanted to say a thank you to our host homes, uh, the Davises and the Edwards, for graciously opening their home and allowing teenagers to run through and throughout the home. Uh, thank you so much. I also want to say, hey, thank you to the booth. Not only did they run, I think most of them in there, uh, not only ran one service this morning, they ran a total of four services this weekend. Uh, and that is a lot. So thank you to those guys. Uh, our speaker for this weekend, Justin Graves, uh, did an amazing job. He's not with us, but we are thankful for him. Um, and I just want to say thank you for, uh, for, having, for us having a, a facility like this that we could house six churches in. 
Um, and I believe we had somewhere between 300 and 350 students in here. If you take a deep breath, you might can still smell them. Um, but I'm telling you, it was a great weekend, and we're we uh, blessed to be able to do that. So uh, just go forth with that. We love you. Have a great week. You are dismissed.